Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Super excited also to welcome a brand new sponsor this month. In fact, more than a sponsor, really a partner. It's Kerry Newhoff. Uh, and his brand new program called The Leader's Circle. Surrounding yourself with other high-capacity leaders is so important right now. When you're connected with them, you can put meeting to content and make well-informed decisions. Well, Kerry Newhoff launched The Leader's Circle in March 2020, an inner circle of high-capacity leaders who have direct access to Kerry and to one another. Uh, Over the last few months, this tribe of high-capacity leaders has navigated the transition uh, to becoming totally digital, organizing a remote team, uh, the complexities of reopening, advancing your mission through uncertainty, and all through dialogue and Q&A that are at the heart of the Leader Circle experience. Listen, the Leader Circle gives you access to carry and to a group of high-capacity leaders through live monthly Q&As and a private Slack channel. On top of that, each month, the group focuses on one carefully sculpted uh, piece of content to help you and your team through the struggles every organization faces. It's, it's a staff training done for you in a box. It's a genius, genius product. Listen, uh, if you want to stop leading alone and start leaning together, I want you to apply to join the Leaders Circle. This is a closed program. It's not open right now, but Kerry has opened just a limited number of spots as an exclusive offer to unseminary listeners. If you'd like to apply or learn more, just text my name, Rich, R-I-C-H, to 33777. That's Rich to 33777. All right, let's jump in with today's episode. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to Unseminary. So glad that you have decided to tune in and you are going to be rewarded for that. We've got a great conversation lined up. Excited to uh, introduce you to a new friend and uh, for you to lean in and listen, I think this is one of those conversations that all of our churches need to be wrestling with. And uh, today we're going to hear from someone who is in the front lines making a difference. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping, I know uh, that this will be helpful for your church. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine named Alan Murdoch. Alan, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. Man, I am so glad to be here. This is uh, really just an honor uh, to be able to be here. Well, so Alan is with an organization called Project Connect Nashville, so we know where you are. Um, I wonder if we could, if you could tell us a bit about Project Connect, uh, you know, what is it that you do? Uh, give us a sense of, of kind of uh, Project Connect, the scope of uh, your ministry. Yeah, so uh, if anybody is from the Nashville or Middle Tennessee area, uh, you may or may not have heard of Project Connect Nashville, and uh, mm-hmm. we can go into the why on that in just a little bit. But we were formed out of uh, disaster 10 years ago. So we had some historic flooding 10 years ago in uh, the community, and uh, I was uh, a business person in a community and responded because I grew up in Florida with hurricanes. My parents had lost their home in Hurricane Ivan, and and just that experience of that growing up uh, led me into responding away to this this tragedy when it happened. And there was, I believe, it was 11,000 homes total that were submerged in water and buildings yeah, and businesses, even in part of downtown Nashville uh, in that flood. And uh, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary on May the 1st. 
because uh, that we and at the same time we are in the middle now of tornadoes. Uh, so we've had uh, two. We just had one. Uh, they're they're starting to call it a tornado. Even whipped through uh, here earlier this week, and, uh, and more trees down and and all those things. So we're in the middle of tornado relief and in uh, coronavirus relief uh, in community. So. Uh, basically, what Project Connect is, is we partner with churches, we come alongside of them, and we kind of do some of the dirty work that is sometimes difficult for the church to do, and that is the case management part of uh, uh, working in people's lives who have had some really deep things that have happened in their lives. So trauma um, mm-hmm. could be having grown up in generational or situational poverty, and and so they're trying to walk out of that poverty uh, but they're carrying a lot of bags of trauma. And the church oftentimes, unfortunately, doesn't know how to deal with that. And so there may be issues of like housing and there may be issues of um, just being able to pay bills, uh, getting mm-hmm. a job in a market like what Nashville has been historically. Just, you know, there's been like over 100 people moving here a day um, competing for jobs and uh, and just trying to help our, our families kind of work through the whole gentrification process as they go, but also presenting the gospel in some really unique and creative ways, uh, pulling the church into this. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we've done is we've identified poverty different from what normally we think of poverty. And normally we think of poverty as uh, a financial problem. And maybe uh, the church may even say it's a lazy problem. The people are lazy and and don't want to work. And so we just help, we do a lot of education, helping the church understand that it's actually a lot more than that. And poverty is about broken relationships. And, and one of those broken relationships is the church. Hmm. Well, I love this. I think there's going to be so much that'll be helpful for people that are, are uh, listening in today. I think, you know, now more than ever, I think churches are uh, looking for ways that they can help. And, um, you know, there can be this tendency to say, well, you know, missions or us helping people who, um, you know, are poor is something we do over there. Um, and you know, and I know that that's not the case. Uh, tell us about some of those differences or what we should be thinking about, um, rather than just, you know, wherever over there is, you know, you know, as opposed to in our own kind of backyard in our own communities, what are some of those differences that we should be thinking about as we're serving uh, people in our communities? Well, I love that you said it. Because uh, a lot of people don't say it, and, and that is the truth that we are really good at uh, serving overseas. Our churches, our missions teams are are good at getting prayed up, and we um, think about the work that we're going to be doing, and there's excitement. And then we go and we walk into the townships in Africa. Um, we may go into an urban core in Poland or or wherever that it may be that we're going to serve, and. Uh, and we're prepared for that, but it seems like we're not very prepared to do that work in our own backyard. And that's mm-hmm. part of the mission pastor struggle is is helping people to understand the need in our backyard. And honestly, we have communities even here in Nashville, which they've been calling the hit city for the past five years, that we have missionaries come that have been in other countries that will come into some of these communities and they go, wait a second, that's not supposed to be here. That's supposed mm. to be over there, and um, and it's very heartbreaking to them uh, in that mm-hmm. in that process. So, 
the idea um, that there is a challenge uh, that we have regarding uh, missions, local missions, is is mm-hmm. a very firm reality. And so the difference is, I would think, I would say is that um, we're challenged by the fact that uh, missions doesn't seem exciting. And missions doesn't seem like it is a reality in terms of what is really needed in our communities uh, because we don't have, we have relationship with missionaries, but we don't have a relationship with those people in our communities that are suffering. And so it's really hard for us to understand what they're going through. It's easier for us to look at them through political eyes and say, this is a government problem um, while telling the government, you need to stay out of our lives. Right. Um, And so it's just easy to kind of pass it off as this is something that they're supposed to take care of. Uh, not something that we, the church, are supposed to take care of, and that's that's absolutely incorrect. Yeah, and that that's in historic terms is actually a fairly recent phenomena, like recent as in the last 150 years that we've looked to really the government rather than the church to help in this scenario. What would you? So I'm going to play a bit of the devil's advocate. That's probably not yeah. a great use of term, but um, you know, I'm sure you run into some church leaders. I'm going to say things that, you know, I'm sure none of our listeners are thinking, uh, but, but maybe, uh, you know, what would you say to a church leader that would, that would say that I would say like, Hey, like this, this is really not our, our deal. Our job is just to kind of preach the word. Uh, we, you know, don't want to get involved in that, you know, whatever. And they maybe in, you know, insert some, you know, negative term in here. That's not really what we're called to do. Uh, what would your challenge back to a, to a, you know, to a church leader that you really love, you're trying to actually engage with, uh, how would you, how would you want to encourage them to say, no, like maybe we need to think differently, uh, about how we, uh, engage, understand poverty in our own backyard and really our role as church leaders in, in helping, um, you know, alleviate that. Yeah. So, uh, if a pastor, and, and we, we do run across this every once in a while where there'll be a pastor and they'll be like, hey, there's homeless that walk through a parking lot. What can you do to get rid of them? And we have to turn it back to them. Right. And uh, and they're like, well, we're you know, we're working with the police. We're doing this, this and this. And and uh, and they don't see it as an opportunity and they see it as an annoyance. And and so certainly, uh, you know, I would. If, if a pastor is saying um, that's not our ministry, I would say then they don't know the history of the church, nor mm-hmm. do they know the Bible. Um, and and so that's a challenge. I would say more what I get is mm-hmm. from the pastors is I can't do this by myself or from right. the missions pastors. And I want my church to have this heart. Mm-hmm. And, and but I'm getting pushback. I'm getting pushback because... To be honest, my parishioners are listening to Fox News or they are listening to um, the radio. And I'm not condemning those things. I'm just saying our filters are not very good. And we hear information that says that this over here is because of the fault of these people over here. And so they need to fix it. If, If they... If they served better or if they made better legislation um, or if their political stance was more to the center or whatever, you know, that may be, um, then then this problem, this would not be an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reality is that the church being at the heart of these issues in poverty and homelessness and 
all of those things is the answer. And it really is. Uh, so what I usually say to them is all we need is one person. If you can get one person from your congregation to connect, uh, their hearts will change because we are a relationship-based organization. And we bring people in from churches and we get them certified to teach classes uh, with our families in poverty. And what happens is they think they're coming in to serve, much like when you go on a mission trip overseas. But then, of course, your heart is broken for the people once you go and you develop a love for those people. Once we get people really into everyday kind of relationship, all of our hearts start breaking and we become transformed together in this journey because of connection and because we start learning the truth and we start seeing people aren't lazy. They're traumatized. Um, Mm. They started seeing that people aren't, uh, they don't have goals, not because they just don't want to have goals. They have goals because they don't have, they don't have goals because they don't have hope Uh, because they are so disconnected and it is the relationship part in this that is so important. So you've got to get opportunity for your people to be able to connect. And unfortunately, a lot of us nonprofits uh, and mission, uh, parts of our missional, parts of our church, we don't uh, like to outsource or we don't like to partner or we like to do the work because we're afraid if we don't do the work, then uh, then why does the church need to support us if they're coming and do all the work? And, and we take an opposite approach to that. And that is that we are looking to the church to do the work. We're the conduit. So we say mm. 50% of our ministry is to families in poverty. And then 50% of our ministry is to the church. And we're going to equip oh, you that. and we're going to give you information. Um, but our goal as an organization is to go away because the church is doing their job in community. Right. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that idea. And I, and um, I'd love to hear maybe almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, I know that there are um, ways that a church could jump in and um, and help that actually ultimately long term could hurt in a community. And how are is what you're doing help mitigate against that? So maybe w- what is a way that it you know a church could actually maybe hurt long term uh, in a community? And then how, what are you doing to help mitigate some of that so that? You know, the church can do what the church is good at, um, but then you can come alongside and kind of fuel that. What, what, what are some ways, what does that look like in, in your relationships? Yeah, it kind of goes back to what you were saying, you know, 150 years ago is that we used to be, we used to be the hospitals. We used to be the barn builders. So the, the town drunk knocks the lamp over, you know, the barn burns down and the community comes together and builds that up. But at the same time, you're pulling that this is an opportunity to pull that person into relationship. So um, bringing them into the church community, bringing them into fellowship through this. And everybody may not be happy in the process that they're having to do this, but they do this and they work together and they're working beside that person in that process. And so we've got to find opportunities for our churches to actually walk hand in hand in, uh, in relationship. And one of the things that we often do, because it's easy, is just to give people things. And it is to uh, just go out and, and just to give the blankets and to do meals and to do other things. And those things are great. So don't don't hear me uh, wrong in this. So those, I'm, you please do those things, but use your benevolence, use your kindness to do more than just that. Because what happens is, in particular with the homeless, but even in our uh, historically impoverished communities, is people just wait for those things. 
partially because they love their relationship, right? So they're getting some relationship in this. They're getting some connection in this, but they're also getting comfortable where they are and nothing's changed. So they may still be an active addiction. They may still need mental health help. They may still need the gospel, you know, and to hear it on a regular basis there. They still may need to move beyond their circumstances uh, because it's hurting them. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being poor, right? There's, you know, people are in po- being poor doesn't mean that you're really missing anything. You just may not go to the movies like other people do or other things. But it's when you're in poverty, when you have those broken relationships uh, to to many, many things, including the church, that's when we're at risk. And that's that's when we just kind of put a, uh, a Band-Aid on the situations that we're not helpful if we never pull them into relationship. Yeah, I love this. Uh, you know, I've heard this distinction before between relief and development, right? Relief provides a short-term, um, you know, support. Uh, like you say, here's here's a handout. And then development really says, okay, long-term, what are we doing? How are we walking with people and ultimately with communities to see structural change take place? It's fascinating to me that I think if I'm reading your history right, you started as a relief organization, right? It started because people's homes were being flooded. We need to jump in and help. But then, but then you've actually evolved to say, no, actually, we want to work with these communities over an extended period of time. I know there are church leaders um, that are listening in in this season. You know, we're in this kind of transitional time where we've seen the needs in our community. Um, and, and I think there's a good impetus in a lot of churches, which is, Hey, we want to do something. My encouragement would be to find an organization like project connect for churches to connect with, (laughs) to partner with, um, what would be some advice that you would give to church leaders that might be looking for organizations like yourself? Obviously if they're in the Nashville area, they should call you. Uh, but if they're across the country, what would be some of those, you know, kind of traits of an organization that they should be looking to partner with? Um, you know, to really make good, to come alongside what's already happening to make good kind of sustained difference in a community, even in this season. Cause I think, I think there will be an increased desire to help it just because of everything we've gone through with coronavirus and all that. Yeah. So let me say one thing. So the, the reason Project Connect uh, started was because uh, of the church's poor response and mm. uh, in, in the time of flood and disaster and even we're selfish in, in some ways. And that was uh, so we, we started something called the Joseph Project that is now specifically for uh, the church and when disaster happens and we're in the middle of rewriting it, reworking it a little bit based on the coronavirus right at this moment that uh, I've been talking to churches about this for 10 years and everybody's like, Hey, yeah, this is a great idea, but right not now let's do it at another time. And, <laughs> and so now they're all coming and they're saying, you know, oh, can we, we get that done, done tomorrow? Because <laughs> so many churches, everybody just shuts down, right? And they don't know what to do. And I talk to pastors all the time and and they're just like going, Alan, you guys are still going and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck and I don't know what, you know, what the right, what is the right decision? What's the right call to do? And if we had that preparation, it's based on the story of Joseph and the trauma that he went through and, and then being, uh, you know, given the responsibility of taking care of community, um, that's what this is based on. And, and so, uh, but it's also about being known as a source to come to in, in, in difficult times, instead of being this thing that goes, I don't know what we're supposed to be in these difficult times. So the church doesn't look like that uh, beacon on a hill, the light on the hill, you know, it looks like, well, they're just, just 
confused and lost as we are, you know? And, right. and so we've got to figure out what our roles are in this. So if I was connecting in another city to, uh, to a nonprofit, I would want to engage with a nonprofit that wants more than, uh, than, than our money, um, that they want our people. And that's not an easy task. That, that means you're looking for a nonprofit that's organized and right. you're looking for a nonprofit that has, uh, they know what their mission is and they know what their vision is and they have steps to fulfill that. And, uh, uh, and so the best way to do that is, is just to, to participate. And we, we tell people here, we say, Hey, look, just you know, try it three times. And, and if this isn't for you, then, you know, we can maybe point you into another direction because each one of those times you will see a whole nother piece in uh, mm. what the process is of that organization and what they're trying to do. And it could be just that you're, you know, maybe your step in the door is, is serving a meal. Maybe it's your small group at church or your Sunday school class, or, or maybe it's just you or you and your family. Um, just find little ways that you can come in and see where the missing pieces are uh, in that ministry where they could, if you see them stressed out about providing food for people, well then, you know, step into that, that door and, and look at that. If you see them missing people to teach classes or whatever that is, then step into that role. Or if they need mentors, um, we have to be active in in our in, in our missional opportunities. We can't sit back. We can't expect our nonprofits to know what they're doing. To be honest with you, mm. this is this is a this is a reality because people have gotten into ministry because they felt that calling. They felt God calling them to it. Um, they have gotten into ministry because they have a great heart for people and they've connected and found, you know, a niche. It doesn't mean that they actually really know what they're doing. That, that's just mm. that's something that we've found in yeah. history. And as we train other nonprofits, um, so don't expect they know, and you can either be a, a life changing agent as a part of that, or you may need to move on to the next one. Um, to just see what kind of opportunities they have. But, but the biggest thing is you want to be where they want you to be there. That's good. That's good. This is, uh, I think, super helpful. Um, you know, th there may be people who are, um, you know, listening in today who are thinking about, um, you know, they're like, this uh, sounds too much like social justice, or it sounds like some other, you know, kind of, I don't know, something that just makes their skin crawl. <laughs> How do you yeah. guys deal with, um, you know, you obviously partner with churches from a wide variety of backgrounds who, you know, how is it that you're able to navigate, um, you know, even, even the language you use, how is it that you're able to navigate those, uh, you know, those issues? Yeah. So we, we have chosen very specifically uh, because this is uh, where I am from and where I'm, where I'm connected mm -hmm. to. Uh, we connect very specifically to, uh, Christian conservative evangelical churches. And we are good. We see the value in global ministry um, and love it and support it very heavily. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we're just not very good at it in our own backyards. And and it's needed. And mm -hmm. uh, the gospel is needed in these in these places. And and so we do a lot of trainings. We do a lot of events and uh, trainings on what poverty really is, how we define uh, poverty. And they start to realize that they have their own poverties in their own life. And so there mm -hmm. begins to be this little bit of connection. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but then we um, we don't use terms uh, because we we found it not to be helpful. Um, like uh, we don't we don't talk about social justice except through the lens of biblical justice because it's all there. And so, um, and, and social justice changes, it evolves, and you have different gatekeepers who are, have made themselves responsible. And, and a lot of times it's, it's from the media um, where uh, you, they get to decide what social justice is. Um, so in order to do that, we just have to stay with a platform of biblical justice and how do we love our neighbors. And, and when we talk about, you know, uh, we know, I know if I say, Hey, you know, you, you're, you're part of the problem. You have white privilege that ears are going to turn off immediately. Mm-hmm. And so we, we don't say, we don't talk about white privilege and, and, and the churches will ask us this. Well, what do you think about white privilege? And I go, well, can we talk about privilege? For a minute, let's talk about privilege and where does privilege come from? Well, it comes from God. And so what does God expect us to do with our privilege? Well, God expects us to give back and God expects us to use that for his purposes and his glory. And so they know the right answers and we get to the same place um, in that our our privilege, uh, God gives privilege. We see it all throughout the Bible where God gives privilege and he has expectations for that privilege. And and so um, that's how we take that and just start to open people's ears uh, to get close to, to mm-hmm. poverty situations. And when they get close to those poverty situations and they're being led in a good, healthy direction, uh, that's when they start seeing the answers for the self. Because it's there. It's in the Bible. It's in black and white. Right. This is not right. rocket science. It's just hard. And... Uh, and, and it just takes a minute to to work out all the details. But but God will be speaking to us and God will be changing my understanding, you know, for the next, you know, 40, 50 years uh, that I'm able to to do this kind of work. And uh, yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, I don't know if you have found this the case, but I know in my my life, uh, the farther I am from an issue, it's like the more I understand it, <laughs> the closer I get to it, the more complex it is. Um, and the more I'm like, wow, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot here. And, and that's definitely the case with the, you know, the interactions I've had over the years with um, either people living in poverty or communities in poverty, where it's like, it, it, it makes so much sense until I actually start to get to know people. And, you know, one of the things I've run into is just this whole area of trauma and, you know, people's life and kind of, um, you know, the baggage that people carry the, I'm not even sure the right language to use, help, help us think through just that issue. You know, what, how are you helping care for people who, who do have a, you know, carry a tremendous amount, uh, with them, uh, this, the whole area of trauma, help us think through that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, Man, every day we talk to somebody who has experienced trauma, but they come in saying, I need help paying my electric bill or paying rent or I'm in an abusive relationship and I need to get out of it. And I don't know how. Uh, And that right there kind of signals trauma, although our people don't always think of it as trauma. They think of it as that's not good and you need to be removed from it. But they're not seeing the layers that, that goes below that. Uh, and just to, to help you guys understand, you know, people that are listening, you know, we have even like 
drug dealers and gang members that'll come in and they'll come in because their cousin came in and their cousin uh, now has a new outlook on life. And I'll be talking to these big burly guys with tattoos and, you know, on their face and teardrops and all these things. And, and in 20 minutes, they're in tears and go, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I was sexually abused as a child and uh, nobody would listen to me and the church wouldn't listen to me. They, they just kind of said, well, just, you know, uh, just kind of keep going, you know, and, 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 and nobody, I didn't feel that love. I didn't feel that connection. And, and so poverty, uh, because it is usually self-contained, people living in poverty tend to live, live in the same communities. Uh, one of the things that we've seen is a uh, kid growing up is, is afraid of the local drug dealer. So do you think that person runs from the local drug dealer? Uh, no, they get closer to the local mm-hmm. drug dealer and because there's protection uh, close to the local drug dealer, the center of, of, of the community there. And so there's a fear, but then there's also this protection. This person becomes their savior in a way um, uh, from other things that are happening in the community. And so so the, the importance of that connection and that relationship uh, of how, as Bonhoeffer said, you know, we've got to drive a spike, a wedge into uh, the middle of poverty and stop it. Because if we don't, if we're not willing to be a part of that, um, then basically we're just relegating people to the edge of the city who are learning from each other. And that becomes that generational cycle where um, the abuse continues to happen. So what we do is we bring people in and we, we tell them stories. So we use orality a lot. And we, and we learned this from uh, the Stringer family who uh, are missionaries in the UK. So they're, they're based out of Nashville and they teach other missionaries uh, trauma-informed care through stories. And we start with the Joseph story. Uh, one of the favorites of the people, whether they're uh, male or female, doesn't matter is a story of a bleeding woman. And when we tell that story, we, we often miss this one part of the story. And this is the message to the church and to the community because uh, we want to jump. We want to, we're excited about the healing. And then we, but what about that 12-year-old girl that hasn't been healed yet in the story? Uh, we feel really bad for her. This is a child. And so we kind of lump over the part or skip over the part where Jesus turns to the crowd and and he's looking at the crowd and he he says somebody touched me i could feel the power come from out of me and, and his his disciples are saying but jesus you're a rock star right now and that's part of your ministry and and everybody's touching you he said no i felt the power come out and this 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 woman who had been bleeding for 12 years who had been disconnected from community who had been an outcast came forward and said because she knew it was her that he was talking about felonies and told her story and told about the disconnect. The whole community heard this as, as she was telling Jesus the story. And Jesus, the only time that we know in the, in the Bible where Jesus says um, that um, daughter, um, your faith has made you whole. He didn't tell us she was mm-hmm. healed because she mm-hmm. had already been healed when she just touched the, the, the right. garment. And, um, but what he was doing in that moment was he was telling her that she needed to be reconnected to community. And what mm. he's telling community is that you need to accept her back in. She is whole. Mm. And that is how we as the church need to be looking at those around us who have felonies, that have mis- misdemeanors, 
to have those things is these are, are people made in the image of God, just like us. And so while you may be fearful of socialism, what I would be fearful of is, and I'm, I'm, I'm a conservative Christian. I'm not, I'm not a socialist by any means. Um, we need to be more fearful of how we are to respond uh, to Jesus when we enter heaven. And in terms of how have we, what have we done uh, to love our brothers and sisters who are suffering in trauma? What we found too, let me just say this, is that again, our classes are, are filled with people from the local church and they come in as mentors or as allies. And every single class we have, we have church members walk out and they go, you know, I have trauma too. And I really wasn't thinking about it. I kind of have suppressed this for a really long time. And I can maybe think of one or two people that have gone through these classes with our people that came out and said, man, I, I can't relate to that. This is really interesting. But almost everybody else comes out and says, I'm being healed in this process, mm -hmm. walking with my brothers and sisters and hearing their stories. And I'm realizing my life is has not been so much different. But mm. I just had people to walk alongside of me right. to assist yeah. me. And my, my sister over here or my brother has not had that. Right. And so that's the trauma part of this is so important. And because we want them to walk in new hope and a new understanding. And then what happens is they go, that story's in the Bible? That's a messy story. Oh, the Bible is, is full of messy stories. And so their expectation is that the Bible was written for uh, white-haired men and people wearing fancy dresses, and uh, that it's all about being prosperous. Uh, and and, that, and they're getting that message too in church, their church. Well, yes, but it's 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 prosperous, but it's for our community. And um, and so they miss the part of the stories about the brokenness and right. and that we are in need of a savior. Every single one of us uh, to uh, save us from our sins and. And, and save us from those, that, those ideas of that trauma. And uh, we need people to walk with us in reconciliation and right relationship together uh, as we uh, are here on this journey with each other. Love that. I think uh, oh, I, there's so much I love about uh, your organization, what you're doing. I love how you're uh, you know, partnering together. I love how you're knitting the church and really empowering the church. I love how, um, you know, even just there that, you know, that idea of, you know, ultimately people having a clearer picture of what the Bible says. I think sometimes we miss, we misrepresent, unknowingly misrepresent uh, scripture and, and can ultimately make it unaccessible to people because we presented it in a way that it was never intended to be written. And, you know, it is full of all kinds of broken people in all That's kinds right. of really crappy situations. And that the story of the gospel is that Jesus steps in in bad situations and turns them around. And so um, love this. This is, uh, this has been great. Anything else you'd love to share uh, with us as we kind of wrap up today's conversation? Um, I think if people are interested in knowing more about the Joseph project and how to, respond in the future regarding COVID-19 uh, and, and just, you know, I have a very positive outlook about the future. Um, uh, you know, so I've been telling churches this day was going to come and now I'm telling churches that this day is going to pass. And, uh, and my encouragement though is how can we, uh, how can we keep that burden for our community? How do we, how do we keep those relationships going? So I would just encourage people, if, you know, to, to reach out. And uh, as we, refit this uh, for the local church to be able to engage with it and 
and uh, what is our role with our with our churches and community, and what is our what are our roles with our nonprofit partners in the community while we wait for the bigger picture of people to come down and do the rebuilding and those kind of things to really stay in contact. I would also encourage people just to know and we start out with the story of just the creation story with the people that we serve and just to understand the impacts of sin and Adam and Eve's sin in the garden led them to being placed outside of the garden. And now because of that, relationships are hard and work is hard. All of these things are more difficult now uh, because that, when we hear the story, it reminds us as maybe people that are in church every Sunday morning, um, why there are challenges in this life. And for a lot of people that we walk with hearing that story for the first time, they're like, you mean that story is the same for you as it is for me? And we all have the same brokenness. And we go, yeah, we all have that same brokenness. And and this wasn't God's plan, but this is this is the impact of sin. And they and we start beginning to see the impact of sin in our own lives and, and how that even causes more consequences and more difficulties as we walk in this world. And that's why we need Jesus. And that's why we need to be in right relationship with him. And if we could just remember that, get back to the biblical truths, get out of the the political aspect of this, if the church does their job, um, then uh, we don't have to worry about those other things. Um, Mm -hmm. So we've got to be active uh, in this pursuit. It does need to start at the top, but but our pastors can't do it all and shouldn't do it all. Mm -hmm. Um, But they need to be getting that message out and cultivating that and finding their champions within the local church and encouraging them out and, and sending them out as missionaries in their community to get involved and get connected. That, that's my encouragement uh, to those that are listening and love to do things in a, in a kind of a radical way, which is not really mm-hmm. truly radical. It truly is a <laughs> biblical model uh, for loving yes. the community. Love it. If people want to get in touch with you or with the ministry, uh, well, let's send them some coordinates. How can they? Uh, how can they get plugged in and kind of track more closely with you guys? Yeah, a couple of things. One is you can uh, you go to projectconnectnashville.org. Uh, we do have newsletters where we just kind of update what we do, and we have other nonprofits even and churches that follow us to to even give uh, them ideas. You can come and you can visit. So once we get back to normal and just see some of the things mm-hmm. that we do, because uh, sometimes just seeing it makes it uh, more real. And you go, okay, we can mm-hmm. do this. Just telling people how we do it is one thing, but seeing it in action. And so we do have teams, mission teams for churches from all over the United States that will come in and, and visit with us and spend a Sunday night with us as we all worship together. Really beautiful experience. Um, and you can certainly email and uh, we can we can get connected as well. Uh, so my email is alan, A-L-A-N, at projectconnectnashville.org. Uh, and we just love to have you and follow us on Facebook. So just, just, just find us on Facebook as Project Connect Nashville. And, uh, who knows, we also may be coming to a community near you. So we're growing, <laughs> expanding, and we're have a partnership we're working on right now in uh, the United Kingdom. So, uh, it's kind of an interesting, uh, thing that that's happening, but we'd certainly love to, to 
walk with you guys and pray for you and encourage you as well. Nice. Appreciate you being on the show today, Alan. And I'd encourage church leaders that are listening in, um, you know, this would be a great, if you're in the Nashville area and you're looking for, particularly in this season, you're looking for a partner, obviously Alan and Project Connect would be a great, uh, you know, a great organization. But, um, you know, in your own community to find similar, you know, organizations that you could really come alongside in this season to help with. Uh, so thanks so much, Alan. I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Yes, sir. Enjoy Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary. <laughs>